Well, good morning, church. I get the privilege of being with you this morning, and uh, I'm really happy to do so because uh, we are going to be finishing up our series, this parallel series, and so I get to be here for this very last sermon uh, to give to you guys. And it's, it's exciting, it's tough, it's difficult, but it's very, very important. And so we're going to jump right in to our passage this morning, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if we take a look at just where Jesus is in this moment as he begins to preach to the people, we realize there's a whole lot of implication to this simple, small verse. You see, Jesus had been going around and he gathered his disciples. He started healing people, sickness, disease. And he started casting out demons and the crowd began to grow. And as the crowd grew, he realized that this was a good time to go ahead and begin to preach to the people. And so he goes up to the side of the mountain as the people gather around and he begins to preach. And he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been studying in this series. But he kind of gives this mini message at the beginning, the Beatitudes, changing the perspective and drawing people into this idea that what they think they know about the world is not true, but in fact, it's a different perspective, that their vision has been skewed. I want to read for you just some of the beginning verses that he talks about in the Beatitudes, starting in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you have the people of Israel who are hearing this, who are gathered. And they had to have thought about things that have come before. I mean, they knew their stories. They knew their history of the garden, the desert, the imprisonment in Egypt, then being sent to the promised land where kings were raised up, and then eventually they were put into exile. And the prophets spoke about this. They spoke about a coming Messiah, someone who would set them free. And in Isaiah 61, we kind of see where this is going. As it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And if you were an Israelite at that time and you heard what Jesus was saying about blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn and blessed, 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 all these different blessings that people who to them, they were like, well, we don't get blessed. If we're feeling that way, we're kind of, we have to put on the sackcloth and we have to shave our head and we have to throw dust at ourselves. We have to put on this face and feeling of mourning. How are we to be comforted? That's the question that we're going to try and answer this morning. And that's the problem that we're going to look at because all of us in our lives have either faced mourning, grief, sorrow, pain, hurt, or if we haven't, we very much will. We will experience that one day in our life if we haven't yet. And that's hard to wrestle with, hard to grasp and put our minds around. If we haven't experienced that and if we have, we know that all too well, that it hurts. 
And what we want to try and look at is this idea of comfort that comes at the very end of this verse. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But to do that, we have to look at three things that we need to understand about mourning. First is this. Mourning is a natural response to loss. Mourning is a natural response to loss. When we lose something in our lives that is important, that we value, we mourn. We grieve over it, even if we don't recognize it. Think about, let's say you have a job, and you've had this job for many years, and you love this job, and you're good at it, and yet one day, the boss comes in and says, sorry, we can't keep you on. We We have to let you go. I've been loyal to this place, and now I'm being let go, and we suffer a loss, and If you're like me, my first thought would be like, well, how am I supposed to take care of my family? How am I going to provide? And we feel these questions and this loss and this grief and we wonder, God, what are you going to do in this? And we suffer. And it hurts. Then, of course, we have the loss of relationships. People in our lives, family or friends, who maybe our relationships have fractured through argument or distance, where the relationship that we had is no longer the same as it was. When I was a junior in college, uh, my very best friend Kyle, uh, he and I had, had known each other for a while. We lived together as, as roommates uh, on our floor. And he was a guy that was like a brother to me. Someone who I could talk to, who I could relate to. We liked all the same movies and all the same video games. And it's like music. It was just like perfect. Like, it's like we were brothers. It was so fantastic. And the relationship that we had was truly like as iron sharpens iron. See, he was the guy who would call me out when I did something totally foolish. He was the guy who told me, hey, I could be, you could be better than that. God, he, he has a desire and a life for you that he, he has purpose for you and you don't need to act like a child in this situation. You could act better than that. He was the guy who I could talk to when I had problems and issues and he would just listen. Not always having an answer, but just listening so he could be a sounding board to me. And that friendship, if you've had one of those that's like that, when it changes, there is grief. There is sorrow. And I remember that junior year, he moved to Montana uh, to, to work at a camp with foster kids. And I can remember being in the parking lot with him, helping him pack up and saying goodbye. And just fighting back tears because this brother relationship I knew wasn't going to be the same. I was mourning. I was grieving over this loss in my life. And we're, we're friends to this day. He has a family. I have a family, you know, and we, we still get together and we talk. And um, not as much as we used to, the relationship is different. And I knew it was going to be that way. From that point on. But it's one that I cherish even though I had to experience that grief in that moment. Of course, when we think of mourning, probably our minds first go to the loss of someone permanently in death. Which is the hardest thing to go through. It's so hard when we realize that someone we love, we care about, that we cherish, is no longer with us. That we cannot hear their voice Or remember those times that we have with them, they hurt, and we feel that. And so when we look at Scripture, when we see what God is going to do through our pain and our hurt, it's important to remember first that Jesus was someone who suffered. He ultimately suffered on the cross for us, but even in his humanity and in his life, he suffered from loss. One of the most popular verses, easiest to remember because it's so short, is John 11, 35. Jesus wept. And if you know the story, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, has died and his family, his friends are mourning and Jesus arrives on the scene and he sees the pain and the hurt on the faces of his friends and the faces of the family of Lazarus and he begins to weep. 
He mourns over this loss. And it's not so much that he just mourns over the loss of a good, dear friend, but his humanity and his, na- and his nature of God, two things, fully God, fully man, wrestle with each other because as a man, he knows that he is experiencing this to the fullest, that he hurts and grieves like a man. But as God, he also knows that this suffering is not something he intended from the beginning. It's not something that he wanted to see as he was there in creation, that his plan was not for sin and death and decay to be a part of this world, and yet it happened, and that he had to step into that. And one day he would go to the cross for us and suffer even more than we can imagine there. This week I was talking to Pastor Carlos about the subject, and he had said this, so I quoted him. Jesus wept because this world is a world of suffering. And the Son of God, the Son of Man, who for the joy step before him was ready to endure unspeakable suffering, could not contain his fathomless love for the glorious ruin that he saw before him. Death, sorrow, loss, grief, and suffering. Jesus wept because he knew. He knew the pain of the people around him, and he knew the pain that he would endure for us. Mourning is a natural response to loss. And it's also inevitable in this broken world. Mourning is inevitable in this broken world. We know from the beginning that, that God made everything perfect. And yet, when sin and death entered the world, that, that was something that would become natural in the fallenness, in the brokenness of what we experience. And all through scripture, you see people who have suffered, who have hurt, who have expressed that through the Psalms, through different stories that we've read. Even King Solomon, the wisest king of all, talks about this in Ecclesiastes. He talks about how everything is meaningless under the sun without God. And yet he talks about how there's a time for everything as well. In 3, 1 through 11, he says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time for love and a time for hate. A time for war and a time for peace. But what do workers gain from their toil? He says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also said eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. See, he said eternity in the human heart. And he realizes that even in the midst of joy and laughter and all the great things of life, there is still suffering. And you and I both know that it's so easy to praise God and give him just our, our glory and wonder and say, God, you are so good when things go so well for us. But it's even harder in the midst of pain and loss to turn to him and say, Father, I need to trust you in this. You are still good in this. As we experience mourning, inevitably in this broken world, ultimately, it should point us to Jesus. Mourning points us to Jesus. See, even our parallel passage, James 4, 9 through 10, says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James saw that even from his brother Jesus, that as he spoke about this, that this idea of mourning and grief and suffering was natural, yes. It was inevitable, yes. 
but that it should bring us closer to Christ, not further away. It should draw us near to him and not set us apart. And that's easier said than done for sure. But it's so important because when we suffer, we have to realize that we're not alone in our pain. We're not alone in our sufferings, but God himself experienced this. He sent his one and only son to die for us. And as he looked out in the manger and saw this little baby born, he knew that one day he would stretch his arms open wide for the sins of the world, for the love of the world. And he would take on all of our shame, all of our sin, and he would die for us. And that broke his heart, but he loved us so much that he did it anyway. And Jesus took on that pain as man and God and suffered for us so that we would know that we're not alone in our suffering, not alone in our pain, that he walks alongside of us knowing it deeply and truly. Now, to be honest with you guys, to be completely transparent, I have experienced grief and loss in different ways, but not one so strong as the sting of death. I know people who have passed away, but I haven't been extremely close to them, and so for me it hasn't been as difficult. And so I wanted someone who could come out and share their story, and so I asked my wife Joy to be with us this morning, and she's going to give her testimony through grief. Good morning. As Nick was preparing for the sermon this week, we, we were talking a lot and he bounced a lot of ideas off of me and we were sharing our experiences with grief and I shared with him a, a number of mine, but one in particular he asked me to share, I did this last service too, sorry, um, one in particular he asked me to share and that is um, my experience when I lost my great-grandma. Now, my great-grandma would. I know everybody loves their grandma. But my grandma was more than a grandma. She was one of my best, if not my very best friend. Um, And she was this inspiring, strong, gentle woman who I knew was safe. I could go to her with anything, and I could tell her anything. And... She was amazing. Um, She was my best friend. And when I was 17, she was 94. And the doctors told us that she needed to have a hip replacement surgery. And her doctor told us it would be risky, um, but it was necessary. It could go either way, ultimately, was um, what he told us. So after her surgery, almost... As expected, she started to decline, um, and we knew that the end was near. The doctors told us to gather our family, anyone who wanted to say goodbye, and come to the hospital. So all of us did. We all flooded this Chicago hospital. I think somewhere, somewhere around 20 of us showed up in this hospital, and we all sort of took turns rotating through Grandma Wood's room. And we all got time alone with her, and we all had a chance to tell her how much she meant to us and how much we loved her and we appreciated her. And she had already asked us that when the time came for her to be removed from the life support that, was, that she was on, she asked us ahead of time to pray together 
in her room and sing some of her favorite hymns. And we didn't know if it would be moments or if it would be hours. But we all gathered in her room and held hands and prayed and sang hymns just in a rotation. And um, I was blessed enough to be standing right next to her bed and holding her hand. And I was holding her hand when she died. And I remember I felt immediate grief. I felt it instantly, and yet as I looked around the room at other family members, nothing seemed to have changed for some of them. And I didn't understand that. I was so confused by that. They're sort of almost like a refusal to process this. And I heard a lot of at least. At least she's a believer. At least she's in heaven. At least you got to know your great grandma. At least she's with her savior. At least she's not in pain. And they were right. All of those at least were true. She was with her Savior. She wasn't in pain. And she was just exactly where she wanted to be. But she wasn't with me. And so I found myself very frustrated with the at least phrase. But my aunt invited me to help her in the funeral planning process. And so I got to sit with her for hours and hours over the next few days, looking through old diaries and reading the love letters between my grandma and my grandpa that they had written back and forth, and looking at old pictures and remembering and mourning my grandma. And I remember my aunt telling me, that it was okay to be sad. It was okay to grieve, and it was okay if my sadness looked and felt like sadness, because that was what it was. And she reminded me that God felt this grief. God felt this grief because he had felt the pain and the agony of watching his own son die. He had felt this heart and gut-wrenching separation because he sent his own son to die for a world of sinners. And not only that, God, God felt my pain, personally, my pain. Because when his children hurt, he hurts. And in the end, this process of grieving and sitting in this pain and processing through it with my aunt and being allowed to feel the sadness and how it looked like sadness reminded me that I am not alone. My God feels my pain and he feels my grief. And I am not alone. Uh, it's a story that I've heard since Joy and I were dating and we've talked a lot about the what-ifs, you know, that the things that Grandma Wood is missing out on because she's no longer with us. And it's hard. It's difficult. And for, for me, it, it's always been this, 
this question of what is our response then to grief? What is our response when we go through mourning? And Joy's story, I believe, is a perfect example that she was able to say, it's okay for my sadness to look and feel like sadness. It's okay for my hurt to look and feel like hurt. It's okay for my pain to look and feel like pain because that is what I'm going through. And too often we don't give ourselves the time to feel it. We feel like we have to be strong. Yeah, maybe. But it's also important to let this process take place. And so our response in mourning has to start with this concept of acceptance. And as Joy said in her story, there are people who didn't accept it at first, who kind of just put it off and they dealt with their grief later. But acceptance is so important because as much as it hurts, it's part of the process of moving on. In whatever time frame that is, it's part of the process of moving on. I was reading an article this past week as I studied this, and it was, it was an interview with Stephen Colbert, the famed comedian who's taken over for David Letterman. But he was talking about his life, talking about how when he was a kid, his, brother and his brothers and his father had, had died, and it was him and his mom, and he had to watch his mom go through this process and her response to it. And what he said that kind of stuck with him, that helped him get through things, was this idea that acceptance isn't defeat. Acceptance is awareness. And this concept was so important for him and the concept is so important for us because we can feel like when we go through this grieving process that we, if we accept it for what it really is, that it's going to conquer us. That this is going to be our identity and we're not going to be able to move past it and that's not the case. If we accept it for what it really is, it's not being defeated by it, but it's being aware of the hurt. It's being aware of that pain and it is okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay, but we don't want to stay that way. We want to be able to accept and be aware of it. And then two, we want to be able to talk honestly. And I skipped a little bit, sorry. So, real quick, from the University of California, California, Berkeley, there's this quote here as they talk about in their classes on grief and pain and suffering. Grief is a natural, normal response to loss. Although grieving the death of someone is a normal reaction, at times grief can feel enormously painful, overwhelming, and exhausting. Beginning to understand your grieving experience and taking gradual steps to address your pain and loss can be important and integral components of recovering from your grief. In healthy grieving, the tasks of mourning and completing one's grief come in stages. The first is to accept and fully experience your loss, including feeling and expressing your pain and sorrow. Feeling and expressing your pain and sorrow. Acceptance isn't defeat, it's awareness to the pain. And it's okay. And our second point is to talk honestly. Talk honestly. Talk with someone you trust. One of the hardest things that we can do is we we keep this pain, we keep the hurt sometimes bottled up inside and it's really easy to put on this face, go to church, go to work and pretend like everything's okay when it's not. And sometimes we feel like we need to do that for our family, we need to do that for our friends. But if we don't get to the core of the issue in our own hearts, what we're struggling with, and we don't talk honestly with someone, a grief counselor, a friend we can trust, someone, then we're never going to be able to process what has happened in a healthy way. You can't keep it to yourself. You have to talk honestly with someone you can trust. And third, we have to avoid the cliched resolutions. It's this funny concept But we often, as Christians especially, we champion verses like a banner that we carry with us. 
Verses that say, like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to do good and not to harm you. And we raise that up like a banner. Or Romans 8, where it talks about how God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And we hold it as a banner and we say, no, see, God's got a plan for me and I'm going to understand why this happened. But the truth is, the context of those verses don't always point to our pain and suffering in that moment. They point to a bigger picture. And yet we hold those like a banner saying, no, God is going to show me why I'm hurting. We're not always going to know. We're not always going to know why we suffer, why we hurt, why someone had to leave us either far too soon or even when it felt like time. I was talking with Pastor Jason earlier this week and he said, he said if we were to, to live in this experience right now, if someone close to me were to die and I was at the funeral and I heard that someone at the funeral of someone I loved came to know Christ could I honestly say that it was worth it for this person that I love and cherish to die so one person could know Jesus? Honestly, I don't know if I could. And then he laughed and he said, why couldn't a pastor just preach a better sermon? Why couldn't someone just present the gospel one more time? Why couldn't that person come to know Christ a different way? Why did someone I love have to leave me when they did so someone could know Jesus? And it's a hard question to wrestle with and we're not always going to know the answer. It may not be the case that someone comes to know Jesus from it. It just may happen. And the tension of resolution that we fight with is difficult to understand. And in my studies for this week, I read a book called The Hardest Sermons You'll Ever Ever Have to Preach by a guy named Brian Chappell. And it was a collaborative book. Tim Keller and some other scholars and pastors have put these, these sermons together talking about pain and grief through abortion and, and loss and national tragedy. And one of the quotes I stumbled across that I want to share with you guys today, uh, Brian Chappell writes, he says, If I were to base my trust in God on my speculations about what good may have resulted from this tragedy, then my faith would quickly crumble. We trust our sovereign God because he has shown us his heart at the cross. There, where any one of us would have stood and cried out, this is wrong, God, you must stop this. Our Savior made heaven's greatest good come out of earth's worst tragedy. At the cross, we learn that God is good and can be trusted even when everything seems wrong to human sight. We trust him not because we can explain our circumstances, but because our God has revealed his character at the cross. God has revealed his character in the cross that he loves us, he cares for us, and he knows we're hurting, he knows we're in pain, and sometimes we can't explain the circumstances away. As much as we want to, we have to trust that he knows us at our very core, that he loves us at our very core, and that even in the pain, he has experienced that with us. We trust him not because we can explain our circumstances, but because our God has revealed his character at the cross. So our response in mourning should look like acceptance and talking honestly and understanding the truth that what we hang our hat on is that Christ knows us, knows our pain, and loves us and sought to save us in the midst of our ultimate suffering, our spiritual suffering, away from him. But some of us, we're dealing with issues where we're trying to respond to others in mourning. And so I have some thoughts on that too. First, empathy versus sympathy. Sympathy can be really good when you're dealing with someone who maybe you don't want to be close to. All right? If we're honest, right? Hey, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm, I'm so sorry. Let me just step back here. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah, oh, bless your heart. 
right? Maybe you've been that person, maybe you've experienced that, and it's okay sometimes, maybe in the situation, but empathy is really taking on that feeling because you've experienced it yourself, and you know what that person is going through, and you feel it to your core, and you empathize with them in their pain and their loss. There's this little video that Errol sent me a couple weeks ago uh, from Dr. Brene Brown, who's a professor of psychology and speaker, and uh, I just want to show this to you, talking about empathy versus sympathy. Check this out. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So, I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. You know, as funny as the video is, it's true. It's true that rarely a response can actually bring about a a good resolution. But to sit and to listen to someone as they're going through this, to empathize with them, even if we don't know what to say, is so important. Thinking about my friend Kyle again, he was someone who I I didn't always need an answer from, but I could just talk to when dealing with an issue. And those types of people, you've either had them in your life or you're one of those, but you also know the people who want to finish your sentence and tell you the answer before you can even get out your thoughts. And we know which one's better. When we feel like we've been heard, when our pain has been dealt with, then we know that we can listen to people. And so our second thing we need to look at is to being able to listen to people, listen and pray. Because we're not always going to have an answer, but we can sit and we can listen. We're not always going to know what to say, but we can sit and we can listen and let that pain and hurt be shared with us if they've trusted us enough to come talk to us. But we can also pray for them because we don't have the answers, but God does. 
And it's not an answer we may see in this lifetime, but it's an answer that we will see in eternity and he can comfort them and give them what they need in that moment of pain and hurt. We can listen and pray, but we can also check in and encourage. And if I'm honest, I'm terrible at this. I'm terrible at checking in and encouraging people who have dealt with an issue or loss because I get busy and I get selfish and I think about things that I have to do and I forget. But if we check in and encourage with people and we say, hey, how are you doing? I know that it's been a little bit of time. It's been a while since this happened, but I just want to see how you are. Let's grab some coffee. Let's grab lunch. Can I pray with you again? What can I do to encourage you? Then they realize that they're not alone. And they've just had and they've experienced a great loss and they feel alone in that. But when you're reminding them that they're not, it's huge, huge for that person to listen and pray and to check in and encourage. Paul says the best in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We have been given a glorious opportunity that we, yes, experience pain and suffering, but through Christ, we are given comfort. And because of that, we can be a comfort to those around us. We can be a comfort to those around us. And that points us then to where our ultimate comfort comes from. It's a promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. From the mouth of Jesus himself, he's making a promise that those who suffer, those who hurt, those who mourn, will be comforted. It doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. It doesn't say that you're going to hurt, and then you're never going to hurt again. It says that mourning is going to come. It is inevitable, and it's a natural response but you will find comfort, if not in this life, in the next. As we go into eternity, it's a promise that we're not always going to have the answers, but that Jesus has experienced that pain and he walks alongside of us in that. He goes before us, he's behind us, and he is with us in that. Our ultimate comfort comes from the Lord, this promise. And it's a promise that we see all through scripture, even to the very end. In Revelation 21 Chapter uh, 2, Revelation 21, 2 verse 5, sorry. Uh, John has had this vision and he is seeing the new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And he says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. This is my favorite part at the very end. He says, and write this down. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It's a promise. It's a promise from God, from Jesus himself that says, I am making all things new. And the hurt and the pain, the feelings that you're going through right now, they are not forever. But it feels like it in this moment. But you're not alone because I suffered for you. And I suffer with you. And I feel that. And your comfort is coming. Your comfort is coming. Behold, I am making all things new. 
And that's a promise. It's a promise that we hang our hat on, that we put our hope in, that the suffering of Christ who went to the very depths for us, who loved us so much that he died for us, gives to his children. I am making all things new. We remember what Solomon said, that God has written eternity on our hearts. We relish that promise and that hope of what's to come, whether we know it tomorrow, a year from now, or we wait for eternity. The promise is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, our hearts, they hurt, they're broken. A lot of us, we feel pain, and when we're dealing with an issue right now that is so difficult to understand why it's happening, but Lord, in your goodness, we come before you and we ask for your comfort. We ask that your love and your grace would shine upon us. Father, and that even if we will never understand the reason why, we know that you still are good and that that promise you've given us that you are making all things new will one day come to fruition and we will see it and we will celebrate with you as you wipe away every tear, as you, you hold us, as you comfort us, as grief is no more. So we give you thanks that our sorrow can turn to surrender, that our pain can turn to comfort. We ask that you would bless us in our time of need. Amen.